Welcome to the King's Chapel Alaska podcast. From wherever you are listening, we are so excited that you tuned in today. Let's prepare our hearts to hear from God's Word. Take your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2 as we start a brand new series this morning called Merry and Bright. I'm going to read 1 Timothy chapter 2 starting in verse 8 through 15. Very controversial scripture that I can't hardly wait to preach. Are you ready? Reading from the New King James, because the NIV sort of butchers a section of it, so we go on to the King James or New King James will do. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, without wrath and doubting. In like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair, or gold, or pearls, or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Verse 11, let a woman learn in silence with all submission and do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, She'll be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. <laughs> Woo! Let's pray. God, thank you so much for what you did in the first service. Now what you'll do in this one. Lord, move in Montana, move in New Hampshire, move in Kenya, move all across the nation, all the watch parties. Holy Ghost, let your fire come. Reveal and release truth. And give us living understanding for the glory of God in Jesus' name. Amen. I feel like a kid in a candy store. Amen. So glad to be here. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. We do have notes for you today. And um, we probably need to work out some greater detail uh, with those that are online if you need to receive the notes. But you can find them on the app. So if you haven't downloaded the app, that's the way to get those. Go ahead, download the app. The notes are on there. And you fill those in as we move along. And the reason we do that is that it'll help you to remember what was preached. This particular message is going to cook some bacon. So I'm excited to have my griddle and some flame with the word of God. This passage is mistreated and mishandled more often than, than most and is used to abuse women. And I'm fixing to take it apart and bring it to you so that you'll be set free in Jesus name. Amen. Uh, Mary and Bright is the name of this series. Uh, the way that I, I've gotten this message is unique. First of all, write in your notes, uh, in my family and in, and in yours also, we have holiday meta rules. A meta rule is an unspoken rule that we have in our family. Now, in my family with, with Thanksgiving, you know, I'm the one that sharpens the knife and I do all the carving. Now, that, that happens in my family because that's what happened with my dad and my mom. That's what happened with their parents. That's what ha passed down from my grandfather taught me to carve, taught me to carve roast beef, taught me to, especially a turkey. And he said, son, you've, grandson, you got you to gotta learn. My granddad said, you got to learn the anatomy of a bird. That's the best way to learn how to carve it. And so he taught me about a sharp knife. And then there was a certain moment in the Thanksgiving preparation where, where granddad would be called. In this case, I'm called, you know. <laughs> Honey, I'm like, yes, it's time. And then I, I come walking in. 
with my knife and my fork and I begin to carve the turkey. That, that, Pastor Karen doesn't carve the turkey. That's my job, right? It's also my job to take out the trash. It's also my job to kill anything that needs to be killed, uh, from spiders to rodents to squirrels to anything that needs ter- to be terminated or dispatched. That is my job. Amen? Right. And, uh, and some other things. And the putting up of that pagan idol for most, the Christmas tree. It is, uh, it, but, but let me just redeem, we've redeemed the Christmas tree. First of all, again, Brother Toby, uh, all of our worship people, we will never sing, O Tannenbaum, we ain't bound down to no tree. Amen. We bow down to the Lord Jesus Christ. But we do have Christmas trees in our house. If you want to call it a Hanukkah bush, you can call it whatever you want. But we have a Christmas tree in our house. And uh, it was always the job in our family that the, the dad, you know, and the men would put the tree up. The, the wife was never putting the tree up. And when I was 10 or so, I swore never to have a fake tree. So I had to break that vow after they came out with these incredible ones. You don't have to deal with those stinking lights that I think are from the devil. Anybody ever remember having to put those things together and you test them every year? And, like, you know, and then I just, I, I just stopped testing them. I'd throw them out and just get a new pair. But now they have this glorious thing called pre-lit trees. It was always our job to put the tree up and, and to do the lights, the men's job, you know. And Anyway, let me, let me redeem the Christmas tree for those of you that are struggling. And you're going to glad I'm going back. Evergreen is a picture of eternity. Chop it down. Picture of death. Raise it back up. Picture of resurrection. There you go. So there you go. You can have a Christmas tree this year and all your kids can be happy. Just don't bow down to it. We give gifts. You know why we give gifts? Because the greatest gift that was ever given to mankind is celebrate. Jesus wasn't born on December 25th, but we do celebrate at that time. And uh, amen. It's the greatest gift that was ever been given. And so the gifts are representative of that. Anyway, metal rules, holiday rules. One of the other holiday rules in our families when we're decorating the tree is that everybody, well, it's, this is a holiday rule for Pastor Karen, but it's not so much for me. Everybody, everybody participates in the putting on of the ornaments. I don't do that. I do do, I, I'm supposed to, according to Pastor Karen, but in my house, that's not how it works. So, amen. I sit back in my chair and I drink a cup of, a cup of hot chocolate or, or, you know, coffee and I watch everybody as they put all the ornaments on and I take two or three that I throw at a distance when she's not looking. And then I, I am responsible for putting the, 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 the uh, you know, the star on top. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Meta rules. How many of you got rules in your home that maybe it's not so much talked about, but you know? (laughs) Hallelujah. This text is profound. And it's profound because it helps us to know our roles. When you interpret Scripture, write in the notes, but I'm going to teach you something. When you interpret Scripture, you've got to ask some basic questions, all right? And this is why this text has been misinterpreted so often. You've got to ask some basic questions. One, what is the, what is the culture? What, what is, is what happening cultural? What's happening within the culture of which this letter, epistle, is written? In this case, it's written to Timothy, who's a young pastor in the city of Ephesus. And so what's happening in the culture is what's happening is that, is that bear, uh, bear, uh, Knowing what's going on, of course it does. So it's the culture is important to which this letter is written. Uh, does the passage harmonize with the rest of Scripture? In other words, you can't pull things out of a text 
and then make it law or make it so and say that that's the way it is when you find it in one or two or three places. You have to look at the cultural background. You have to look at the historicity, the, the history of what's taking place. And what is taking place is it universal. Do you find it in other places of Scripture? How does, does a passage harmonize with the rest of Scripture? Is what's going on historically help us understand what's happening? So one of the biggest challenges in Scripture is that we all have biases. And so I've seen this text completely pulled out of the context, completely pulled out of history and the culture, the people of which it is written, and then imposed on a people that it has nothing to do with to get women to be quiet. Good luck. I love that sort of maniacal laugh in the background. <laughs> Yeah. To appreciate, let me just, let me paint the picture for you. To appreciate the, what Timothy faced as a young pastor. Now, first of all, the Apostle Paul came to Ephesus and had one of the great revivals there. Timothy now is the pastor in Ephesus. And to, let me just paint the picture of how it was. Timothy undoubtedly came in through the harbor. And when you were to come in through the harbor, if we understand the history of Ephesus and that region, what dominated the landscape was a temple with Artemis, or, or Diana would be the Roman uh, uh, pronunciation, over all of Ephesus, a dominating idol. And a giant temple the size of an Olympic stadium and the size of an Olympic field. Huge. 100 columns are said to be there. The columns are five stories high. That's a big column towering five stories high, and there would be gold and lots of color. And when you came into Ephesus by boat, that's what you would see. Anywhere in the city, and uh, the, the, the scholars differ on how many people there, but I think we can think in terms of about 100,000 people. So that's a lot of people. And so as you come into the city, that's what you would see. This massive temple, these massive columns, if you happen to live in this city, you are very familiar with what would take place day and especially at night. Hundreds and hundreds of temple prostitutes would walk the streets. In fact, uh, one scholar, one historian says, said that, says it this way. Ovid, O-V-E-D, E-V-I-O-V-I-D, says this way. The temple orgies and religious prostitutes kept young men's eyes fixed with lust that caused... Young, maiden, young maidens' cheeks to redden. So in the mix, so that's what it was like. Now, let, me, let me venture to say this, that I don't think that there's anywhere in America that can actually compare to how incredibly wicked it was. So you said, oh, Vegas, Vegas is like that. I, I haven't been to Vegas in a while, but I'm pretty sure all the streets don't run with prostitutes in every corner because that's the way it was. And it was considered an act of worship. Wow, that's the place of this church that Paul writes to and Timothy's the pastor. Stirred into all of that is all of this mysterious religions, witchcraft, and Roman worship of Caesar. Some of you are familiar with that. And all of these cultic activities, pilgrims would come from all over the world, all over the known world to worship there. It is, uh, she's called the goddess of Asia is another way to say it, this, this Artemis, this uh, Diana, 
and wicked, wicked perversions and orgies all in the, in the name of worship of this God. So you, you, thought, you thought America was wicked and there is wickedness in America. Paul comes, and and now Paul's long gone by the time this letter is being written, but when Paul comes, Paul comes and has such a revival that all the marijuana shops, all the cannabis shops close. I'm just giving you a modern-day illustration. (laughs) How come you're not laughing at what's going on? Okay. So cannabis is legalized. Yeah, it was legal to have shrine prostitutes and to do all that stuff was legal back then, too. I'm, I'm just saying. So all of the, the, the money mingled with this false worship, the economy was affected because the evangelistic efforts of Paul and his team was so great that it shut down and hindered the flow of money that was coming into the hands of all of these perverts and preverts and however you want to say it, and it caused a, re- a, a revolt. Now he's gone, and the church that's take is there is pastored by this guy Timothy, a young pastor. And what's happening outside to understand the history is great persecution taking place from those outside, Jews and pagans alike, persecuting the church. And then inside, heresy. If you study this passage rightly, you'll come to understand a literary uh, art called chiasm. And I don't want to get into all of that because you'll bore you to death and lose you, but it's a way of communicating that's in this, in this letter written by the Apostle Paul, very well-educated man. So we live in a culture today where the roles of male and females have been obliterated. 50 years ago, you'd watch a show called Father Knows Best. Now fathers are idiots and mothers are crazy. How about, you know, um, uh, Leave it to Beaver? You all remember that? There was, a, there, was a, there was a godly fear that was in our country that's no longer here, but I believe it's returning. Let's look at this text. So th- this gives you the background, all right? So I'm fixing to put a silver bullet in the head of this women in ministry thing that people use to keep women in bondage. It's not of God. So Paul addresses the men first, and he declares that, that men should be men of prayer. Verse 8, I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, without wrath, without doubting. You see, there's a way in which your prayer life will be made effective and a way in which your prayer life will be hindered. You can live however you want to, but if you live however you want to, if that's contrary to God's word, God's plan, then you will have a hindered prayer life. And what's amazing to me is that the Apostle Paul writing in the midst of this perversion, in the midst of this tension, and even heresy on the inside of the church, which I'll deal with in just a minute, he says men ought to be men of prayer. That is amazing because most prayer meetings aren't attended by men in most churches. That's not the case here. Most prayer meetings across America are attended by women. And I certainly don't mean to demean that. Thank God for women. I said, thank God for women. But men ought to be men of prayer. And to be effective in prayer, you must be holy. You can look throughout Scripture that there are things that, that, listen, the way in which you treat your wife, if you're married, will will hinder your prayer life. 
You, you, you live in sin. If you don't have holy hands, your prayer is going to be affected. David said, if I regarded sin in my heart, my prayer would not have been heard. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 15 and 16 talks about prayer being hindered because of sin. Psalm 24, verse 3 and 4. So there's a criteria for answered prayer. So if you don't live right, God has a prescribed way. Come on, John 15. If you abide in me and I abide in you, talks about answered prayer. But the key word is abide. To abide in him, if you love me, you'll obey my word. So there's a way in which you can have incredible answers to prayer, but it's not going to be because you have filthy hands and do whatever you want to, and then you cry out to the Lord. If you don't have an effective prayer life, if you don't see results when you're praying, you have to check yourself before you wreck yourself. You ought to see what's going on up on the inside of you, see if you're really living right, see if you're treating your wife right, if you're married. See what's going on inside that heart of yours. And he tells them, be a man of prayer. Everybody say it. Be a man of, be a man of prayer. And, and you've got to live holy without anger. Ephesians talks about that, also by, written by the Apostle Paul. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. That means give, a, give a, a time frame for your anger. And in your anger, don't sin. And it, and it goes on to say that don't give a foothold to the devil. Topos is the Greek word. I'm a topo map. All of you hikers and campers and hunters gives elevations. Topo, topos, foothold. That's what that means in the Greek. So if you allow yourself to be angry and you, and you stew on things, you're giving the devil a base camp to operate in your life. And that, that's what he's saying. So men ought to live holy without anger, bitterness, unforgiveness. Now, doubting is why I went to the New King James or the King James because the NIV translates this arguing. And it could be translated that way, but I think a better, a better way is doubting. It's these three things that can really dismantle and shut down an effective prayer life. Doubt. James talks about doubt. You'd be like wind and the waves, you know, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Don't be a man that's filled with doubt. A double-minded double man is unstable in all his ways. And then Paul addresses the women, and he deals with two areas. One, adorning themselves, all right? And here's what he's saying. The women of God ought not, that there's nothing wrong with standing in front of a mirror. To, how many of you stood in front of a mirror? Oh, you guys are afraid of raising your hand. No, not me. I just came out beautiful just like that. My hair was perfect. Just woke up and bam. The only one that has hair like that is me and all the other bald people up in the house. Amen. Quick, quick buff. I'm good. There's nothing wrong with looking in the mirror to, make, you know, to, to, to be beautiful. But what he's talking about is he's saying there's everything wrong with looking beautiful to seduce. Because in the culture of all of these prostitutes going up and down the streets, he's saying don't be beautiful in that way. The braiding of hair and, and, and makeup and jewels is there anything wrong with makeup and jewels and the braiding of hair? The answer is no. Unless you're doing it to seduce, which is what was happening. And he's saying, listen, as, as Christian women, nothing wrong with beautifying yourselves. But do it in the way that, 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 that God blesses, which is really, listen, beauty is skin deep. Ugly goes straight to the bone. But the inward, inward beauty, 
the radiance, the peace that comes from God Almighty. Listen, if you don't have that, it doesn't matter how much makeup you put on. Some of you grew up in early Pentecost where you couldn't wear any makeup and you had to have everything, you know, all the way to the neck and you couldn't wear, you know, you couldn't put any, uh, couldn't put any makeup on and, you know, God forbid. Listen, if the barn needs some paint, put some paint up on that thing. He's talking about adorning themselves. He goes on. <laughs> Some of you are not going to hear anything else I say the rest of the service. He called my face a barn. No, I did not. It's just that there's nothing wrong with beautifying yourself. In fact, the actual, you know, do you know that, you, that human beings, dogs don't think in terms of beauty? Only humans do. Whales, they don't think in terms of beauty. Cats definitely don't think in terms of beauty. You do, though. You know why? Because you're made in God's image. We're made in God's image. We think in terms of justice. We think in terms of beauty. All other creation doesn't think in terms of justice or beauty, what's right and what's wrong. They don't think that way. You know why? Because it's not made in God's image. But you and I are made in God's image. And when you, when you see a beautiful sunset, you, know, it's be- you see beauty in creation. That's an, that's an attribute of the fact or proof of the fact that you're made in God's image. So for you to want to look pretty is actually a desire that God has put there. And one of the other reasons is, is that men are very visual. And so for you to want to look beautiful so as to have your husband gaze upon you is a good thing and actually a godly desire. But it can cross over to becoming perverted and, and self-serving and lust and even idolatry, it can move that way. In modest apparel. In the first service, I mentioned this. I, I saw some grandmas go, thank God. Thank God. Can we talk about modest apparel? In like manner also, verse 9, women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Wow. With propriety and moderation, not with braided hair, gold, costly clothing. Wow. You see, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church to say, if you look like the prostitutes, how are they actually going to know that you're a woman of God? You shouldn't dress like that. And he's correcting them. If you dress in a way that's overtly sensual, it's wrong. So how do I know which one that is? You let the Lord lead you. We're not trying to raise up, you know, the, the clothing police. Like if somebody comes in here all up in booty shorts, you know, obviously they need some discipleship. I'm going over here because I ain't feeling the love over there. You know, if, they're, if, they're, if, they're, if they're just hanging out everywhere. And this can, be, this can be a guy or a girl, by the way. They dress in such a way 
as to elicit lust from the opposite sex. It's the same thing. My wife said, honey, be sure you don't say ho or hussy during this thing. All right, so amen. Because it, there, are, there are man versions of that too, but I'm not sure what that would be like, pimp? I don't, I don't know what that would be. There are ways in which you can dress that elicit lust. And it's wrong, the Apostle Paul saying, you should not be like that. Don't do that. And let me just say, let me just give you a little, you know, bracken wisdom. Ladies, gentlemen, if you dress in such a way to elicit lust from the opposite sex, you don't want that kind of man. I'm just telling you, you don't want that kind of, you don't want that kind of woman. Because she'll be doing that to somebody else long after you're gone, dead and gone. In ancient times, they did, they did everything to show that they were successful and that they were they had lots of jewels and every they'd ordain, they they just you know just everything everywhere. There's nothing wrong with doing your hair. There's nothing wrong with doing your makeup. I don't think there's anything wrong with with earrings. I don't think there's anything wrong with beautifying your body. There's everything wrong with using it as a way to elicit lust and sex. And, you know, I'm, we've had people that have said, hey, you know, I'm really stumbled. Now, you know, listen, you're stumbled inside your mind first. You have to learn, gentlemen, you have to learn to watch where your eyes are. But ladies, help them out. Hello. Hello. Let's have a praise break because I ain't feeling the love right now. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Are we feeling the love in Montana? Come on, hallelujah. New Hampshire? Come on, Kenya. Goes on to say that, you know, real beauty is basically more than outward. With good deeds. With what? With good deeds. Real beauty is that which comes from the heart of a life that loves the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's what real beauty is. It doesn't have anything to do with how makeup and, and all of that. And given the culture, Paul sets rules for behavior for women in a Greek city. That's the context of this, all right? And, uh, you know, Paul's concerned about them setting a standard of, of what godliness is. In the text, it says that those of you who profess, to profess the gospel is to preach the gospel. So that's the first nail in the coffin of the fact that women shouldn't be preachers and teachers. It goes on to say that after. Yeah, I'm fixing to wreck that. Paul gave this rule because basically the gospel liberated women. Listen, understand in the first century, you want to know what it was like? And you can look at Galatians 3, and then I'll talk about that in a moment. You know what it was like in the first century? Um, if you look at, at many of the women uh, in Islamic nations, women of Islam, that's what it was like to be a woman in the Old Testament. That's a good, that's a good example. And uh, they couldn't vote. They, they were, they were, their, their testimony didn't count. They couldn't give witnesses. They couldn't give witness. They couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't. They couldn't testify in a court of law. You know what's amazing to me is in the gospel when Jesus, he dies and three days later he, he's resurrected. The first evangelist is a woman and her name is Mary. And she was a prostitute prior. And she, she comes, she's the first one to testify that Jesus is risen from the dead. Why would God choose a woman who couldn't testify in a court of law and was considered emotional and, 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 and not worthy to talk. Because that's what happened. 
It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that liberated women. It, was, it wasn't the li- women's lib movement of the 70s. And I, and I understand that there still needs to be some liberation. Galatians 3, look at this, verse 28. Neither, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for all are one in Christ. The teaching of the gospel is radical. It's radical, really. And given that awareness that women are to be used by God, it was clear that basically God has used women throughout all of Scripture. So if you, if you look uh, with me, verse 9, there it is, that professing, verse 9. But that which is proper for women, professing godliness, professing, that's speaking, that's testifying, that's preaching. You think about in the Old Testament, Deborah, Helda, a prophet, prophetess. You think about uh, Priscilla and Aquila. Aquila was the male, Priscilla was a female, or powerfully used by God in the marketplace as well as in spreading the gospel, part of Paul's apostolic team. You think about um, uh, Philip. Philip had four daughters, they were all prophets, prophetesses. Four, New Testament. And Paul deals with that. It's the universal message is that God can use anyone. God can use anyone. In fact, if you read uh, 1 Timothy, many times where it's, where it's translated man, it's using, it's using a word for meaning mankind. Thropos, I think, is the Greek word. But in verse 8, it's talking specifically to men to lift up holy hands. Look, look, at, verse, um, look at verse 11 with me while we get into this to really chap some people's hide. Here we go. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. Verse 12. And I do not permit a woman to teach and to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. So understand what's happening in verse 13. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was, de- was not deceived, but the woman would deceive. Let me tell you what he's talking about. The Apostle Paul is talking to a woman. He, he talks generally about women and men, and then he brings it specifically to rebuke a woman. There was, I believe, inside the church in Ephesus, Timothy being the pastor, a specific woman that was bringing forth false teaching and heresy. And he said, stop her from talking. Now, let me just tell you, if you're a man or a woman, you bring, try to bring heresy up in here, you will be stopped. And what I love about the Apostle Paul, and let me just, let me just say this. Uh, he, he, said, he said, an effectual door has been opened for me and many oppose me. There's, whenever there's great opportunity, there is often great opposition. But uh, let opposition be that which is, encourages you to move forward in the plan of God. I, in fact, I wonder if there's no opposition if you're actually doing the will of the Lord. When you're doing the will of the Lord, you're going to have opposition. And in this case, there's a woman. It's the same way when you go back and look at Corinthians. And I think I'll, I'll, I'll deal with this passage later. But in Corinthians, the apostle was at 1 Corinthians 5, I think it is. He says, it's reported among you that a man, who? A man. What's his name? We don't know. At other times, he, he names Hymenaeus. And different ones that are apostate, basically, and he turns them over to Satan. But here he says, First uh, Corinthians five, uh, verse one. It's reported among you that there is a man who's sleeping with his father's wife. He's not saying it's reported among you that all the men sleep with their father's wives. That's not what he's saying. There's this one guy who's 
fornicating or committing adultery, rather. Fornicating is when you're, when you're having sex with somebody who's not married. Adultery is when you're committing a sexual immorality with a married person. So it's reported that there's a man committing adultery with his father's wife. This is his stepmother. And the Apostle Paul says, Man, don't you know that a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump? Expel the immoral brother from among you and basically turn him over to Satan. He's talking about a specific dude in the church. And they were allowing him to have fellowship and were turning a blind eye to it. And they said, if you do that, it's going to be like a disease that sweeps through the church. And I will tell you that you have to confront things in your life because if you don't confront them, it will eat you up. But at the same time, I've seen people come into the church who just don't know any better. And, and immaturity is not the same thing as open rebellion. So listen, if you're still playing with Ouija boards and you're a believer, you need some discipleship. If you're, if you're, if you're still messing around with, you know, all kinds of cultic activity and, and, uh, and still rolling bones and, 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 and playing with tarot cards and looking at astrological charts. Hello? Oh, oh gosh, I felt, I felt, a, actually, I felt that for a second. It's a spider up here. Yeah, but it's now dead. You know why it's dead? Because I just stepped on it. We'll have to clean that part of the car. It was a pretty kind of a juicy one right there. It's a prophetic sign. I don't let spiders run around and bite my kids. I don't let spiders up into my... Some of you, man, when I felt the, I felt the push from the Holy Ghost when I talked about the tarot card thing. No, those are astrological charts. What sign are you? What kind of spirit for the love of God? You need some discipleship. Somebody told me, you need to preach on spiritual warfare. We do it all the time. And we'll, we'll go back into it in the new year. Because most people don't know about, about curses. And don't know about the blessing. And they've allowed for, you know, things around their neck that are not of God. And, and symbols and, and pictures. They do all kinds of insane things. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. Just because you gave your life to Jesus, that's a great start. But you got to get discipled. you got to get the stuff out of your life. What bugs me is when people come into the church and they have all this stuff and then the fourth part of the Trinity, they start chewing on somebody when they don't even know, they can't find anything in the Bible, anything in a young believer, a new believer. Love on them. Help them. But by all means, step on the spider with the love of God. You who are spiritual should restore such a one. There's a woman in the church who I believe is bringing forth heresy. And then he uses this text so he says, don't allow her to speak. In fact, he's encouraging her actually to learn. He says, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And he's talking about this specific woman. And I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence. There's, persecu there's persecution from outside, heresy from within. And this happens sometimes in churches where false teachers kind of creep their, their way in. We will lovingly correct you. Listen, if you have anything in your life that's going to destroy you, wouldn't you like somebody to help you with that? And the Holy Spirit will lead you too. It's beautiful when God corrects me. I don't like it so much when my wife corrects me, but I welcome it. Because I'm going to finish my race. Verse 13, for Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman. So he's talking, he's relating it back and, this, and then this next thing I've never seen before. It just blows my mind. 
He's relating it back to the deception in the garden. And verse 15, watch this now. This, I never in the 20-something years of preaching, studying, and I've never heard this preached, ever. I never really understood this. Nevertheless, she'll be saved in childbearing. You're like, what? If they continue faith, love, and holiness. You know what that is? You know what that's saying, the childbearing? You want to know? It's not a verb. So it could be a verb. It could be a verb, childbearing. That, that's, there's, that require, how many of you ladies had a child? Amen. Child, you just, your boy was just born. That was some action, right? Verb, verb action word. Childbearing, that's an action word, right? That's, it's not a verb, though, in the Greek. In fact, a better translation would be, you know what a better translation is? She'll be saved through the childbearing. What the child, one specific moment, one child that was born, referring back to the garden, what's called the proto-evangelum. Pro, first, evangelum, evangelistic, euangelium in the Greek, the first time the gospels ever preached this in the Garden of Eden, how many of you know this text? When the, the fall of man and, and God comes looking for Adam, which is an opportunity. God didn't know where he was. He was giving an opportunity to repent. Adam doesn't take that opportunity. They sow some fig leaves, which is a picture of religion trying to hide their sin from God, but only blood can cover you. And the curse comes down upon Adam and Eve, and they're removed from the garden. But during the curse, he says to the, the snake, the Satan, he says to Satan that you'll strike his heel, talking about the seed of the woman. That you'll strike his heel, but he will crush your head. That is a reference to the Messiah being born. It's the seed of the woman. Is, it's talking about not, not all the generations. It's one particular moment that would come, the Messiah. So what this is saying is saying that she'll be saved by the childbirth. The childbirth. Unto us is born. A son is given. The Messiah. He's talking about the Messiah. And I've heard it preached many different ways, but I've never seen it that way. It's not a verb. It's a declaration that salvation comes through Jesus, even through this woman who's bringing a, a heretical teaching, and that she's to be silenced and taught correctly and discipled. My, my, my. And I believe it's also saying that women are to be held in honor. Or it's a woman. Listen, dude, you might think you're hot stuff, but i got news for you. Everyone here has a mother, whether they know it or not. You might not know your mother. You might not know who she is, but you had one. We all have come through the birth of, through our, our, our mothers. And, and so as a result, and even Jesus comes through Mary. Women are to be honored. Men are to be honored, too. But women are to be honored. They're not chattel. God is speaking to us so simply. We must see that God is saying to us in, in every passage beyond the culture that God speaks to us and you have to be sensitive to look at culture and to look at what's happening. It's not that you're not supposed to be having braided hair and you can't wear earrings and you should be an unpainted barn. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that... Go ahead, be beautiful, that's all right, but let the beauty come from within, within inside. And be modest, because you're not supposed to be like the world. Not supposed to be like the, 
the shrine prostitutes of Ephesus. Not supposed to seduce people, men or women. That's not the kind of spirit that we have. And, and to look at texts of Scripture and clearly study that out of what's going on. How does that fit as a universal truth? If you were, if you, were you know, someone that's like an exactist that would read something, men ought to lift holy hands and pray. So does that mean you have to lift your hands and pray every time you're praying? If you're a man, then you have to pray like this. Well, if you're not doing this, then you're not praying. How many of you know that's not true? You can pray on your head if you want to. Jews, yeah, they would put their hands out. You go to Israel today, and they're praying like this. Is it okay to lift your hands? Yes. But what it's saying is, it's not saying you have to lift your hands. Like if you fell in a well and you were hanging by your ankles, you'd have lifted feet, but I guarantee you, you'd be praying. Amen. You can sit on your head. David sat and prayed. There's lots of different ways to pray. Just make sure you pray. Be a man of prayer. Be a man of prayer. Can you say amen? And be a woman God speaking to us, be a, be a beautiful woman. And a woman, be a woman of prayer. And really, a beautiful woman is a woman of prayer. Can I just say it that way? So women can be pastors. Women can be apostles, prophets, teachers. In this place, they can. Because that's what we see in Scripture. And any, any, any Scripture that destroys the place of a woman or a man in service to the Lord. It's, 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 it's not of God. We're all one in Christ. Can you say amen? amen? Well, I hope you got something from the Lord. Would you stand up all across this place? Lift your hands to heaven. And those online, I pray now that you would break off misunderstanding and that you would heal. There's so many who've been wounded through Abusive, misguided, unbiblical authority. I pray now. Healing. In the name of Jesus. Release your healing touch. You know, I want to do something. We're going to receive communion. Let's do that now. Ushers, would you help us? It's the first Sunday of the month and we're going to receive communion all together. It's an open communion. We're serving grape juice and, um, and a cracker representing the, the blood and the body of our Lord. And as uh, communion elements go around, why don't you begin to examine your heart? And uh, if you're not right with God, then, then get right with Him today. Amen. Repent of your shortcoming. Repent of your sin. If you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, won't you do it? Won't you do it today? Won't you do it right now? Listening by way of television, podcast, listening on Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, wherever you are here in the sanctuary. You say, I'm not right with God, Pastor. Well, then get right with Him. Receive Him. Receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. To as many as believed in him, he gave them the right to become children of God. You're not, you're not, you're not a child of God if you're just alive. You're, you're a child of God when you repent in your heart and confess with your mouth. That's when you become a child of God. You believe on the Lord Jesus and then you ask him to forgive you for your sin, which actually crucified him. My sin too. But I've made my decision. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand.
I will not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Everything else is sinking sand. Give your life to Christ all across this place. You say, that's me, Pastor. I'm so glad. Pray this prayer with me right out loud. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die in my place and to rise again from the grave for me. Forgive me of all of my sin and come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Wash me. Cleanse me. Make me new. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen. Now, as you hold those communion elements, continue to just take a deeper look, won't you? Examine your life and see if you need to repent for anything else. Maybe maybe you were just really mean at Thanksgiving. Maybe you offended your in-law and you just needed to be kind. Repent. Lord, forgive us for wrong thoughts, attitudes, motives. Thank you. Wash us and cleanse us. Even things that we might not be aware of. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would put your finger on things. That we would be a people that live a lifestyle of repentance. That we would be men of prayer. We'd be women of, women of prayer. We'd be a people who honor you in our speech. Even in our clothing, the way that we dress. Especially the deep recesses of our heart. That you would root out, tear down, and expose any perversion. And God, we would rightly represent you as we profess godliness everywhere that we go. We thank you that we're free. You set us free. We receive that now. We receive your healing. We remember. God, on the night that you were betrayed, you took the bread and you broke it. In likewise manner, you took the cup and you blessed it. You said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And the same way, the cup, which is the your blood, which is shed for us, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me, you said to your disciples on that day. So God, we remember your death. We remember your 39 lashes that brought healing. We thank you for your death, your resurrection, your blood that covers over our sin. We declare it healing. We declare forgiveness. And we declare your eminent soon return for your, your spotless bride bride of Christ, us, washed, the redeemed, the blood-washed host, and we say, even so, come, Lord Jesus, even so, Maranatha. Hallelujah. Let's eat and drink together. Mm -hmm. oh. oh, the blood of Jesus Oh the blood of Jesus Oh the blood the blood the blood Oh the blood of Jesus It washes white I want to close but want to do one more thing If you've been abused through spiritual authority. You had a pastor or pastor's wife. Or you've been abused, maybe by an evangelist or somebody that just tried to really control you. I'm, I am, we are not a controlling church. But if I see a spider on you, I'm, I'm going to let you know. 
and loving correction. If you don't have someone's heart, don't you dare try to take their hand. You don't have someone's heart. Lo love each other. They'll, they'll know us by our love for one another. But I'm mindful that there are many, many, many people who've been hurt and wounded in churches. And the Lord wants to heal you. You say, that's me, Pastor Daniel. Would you raise your hand? Everybody, heads bowed. Wow, look at that. My, my, my. I'm going to pray. You put your hand on your heart if you can. I'm going to pray for you to be healed. All right? I'm glad you're here. I really am. And we endeavor to be the best pastors we possibly can. And uh, we fall short. But we endeavor to live holy, righteous, blameless lives and want to love you. And we'll correct you. We'll patch you up and teach you the Word of God. Why? Well, one, I'm going to stand before God for giving account for how it's gone with you and how I've taught you. Two, it's God's plan for you to have a blessed life, not to have a life filled with spider webs and bondage. That's not God's plan. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. And every man, every woman has to have a pastor. I'll believe that. I have one. You need to have one. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm many of your guys' pastor, and I'm so grateful to my pastoral team. Just so blessed. Let me pray for you to be healed. And for those of you that got wounded by especially women. I'm so sorry. On behalf of leadership, I repent to you and give you this solemn pledge and oath that we will raise you up to do great things for God because you're a woman of God, a man of God, because you've been called no matter what sex or race you are, you're man or woman, no matter what culture you come out of, there's a place for you to serve in this house. And I'm so glad that you're here. Let me, let me pray for healing. Father, I pray for healing for each and every one that's been wounded, God. You'd heal. You'd heal their heart. You'd heal their broken spirit, abuse, controlling spirits that have come to try to abuse. And I pray that you'd set them free and heal them now. And I pray for those who, who need another level of discipleship that might be messing around with occultic practices that are not of you. I bind that thing. You'll not have influence here. And I pray that people would go to the next level of mentoring discipleship to let go. To let go of those things. To move fully in to you and your word. To become more like you. God, thank you. I take authority over an astrological spirit. I take authority over uh, heresy. Doctrines of demons, I take authority over that tarot card, occultic practices. I take authority and I command you in Jesus' name, shut your mouth. Loose your hold from each and every one that's being affected. And I declare the plan of God, the will of God, the kingdom of God. I thank you that in you we find peace and hope and joy and healing and everything, everything for every human need we have in you. God, we thank you. Now bless your people. Cause your face to shine upon us. Lift up your countenance towards us. Be gracious to us. Keep us and give us peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one.